Fight Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Kant, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And it's my intention to help inspire you to manifest the life of your dreams, whether that's radiant health, awesome relationships, prosperity, or simply peace of mind. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you happen to be a light warrior, highly sensitive person, you're in the right place. I have a free gift for you. It's at sensitivesoulguide.com. And that's the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power. Love those peace. Okay. <laughs> so this week I'm super excited because Geraldine Villeneuve is with me today, and I just read her book, uh, Putting Your Best Feet Forward. And, and my patient, uh, former patient Cynthia, who lives in Vermont, um, showed me this book, and she says, you got to read this book. You know, she, and she's like, did you know that flip-flops were bad for you? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I just thought about it. You know? She was like, yeah, 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 and, and then this and then that. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to read this book. And, of course, one of my very good friends, D.L. Walker, is a, a foot and ankle specialist as well. So, you know, I, I said, hey, uh, check out Geraldine's book. And I know her, you know, D.L. is going to work on her book. And I think it's so important. I learned from both uh, Geraldine and D.L. the importance of the base, the the feet. And looking at my mom's feet, looking at those you know, really, it, you almost want to cry looking at her feet, like all oh, the bunions. Now she has numb feet. Um, and I started getting these bunions as well. And, uh, of course, being in the figure skating boot is, is not the ideal thing and started getting some uh, knee problems, hip problems. And so I think it's super important for people to understand that what, you, you know, your feet are so important and not just to your structural health. We're talking about organ health as well. So that's the one thing that uh, we're going to talk to Geraldine uh, today about is that, that connection between your feet and the rest of the health of the body and what uh, the technique she calls structural reflexology. So let me share a little bit more about Geraldine. She's the author of the book, Put Your Best Feet Forward, Exploring the Causes and Cures of Foot Pain with Structural Reflexology. She's a licensed massage therapist and holds a Bachelor of Science. She has been practicing reflexology for 39 years and recently received an award from the International Council of Reflexologists for her significant contribution to the field of reflexology and research. She is internationally renowned for her trademark work as a structural reflexology practitioner and instructor. Geraldine is currently in the process of completing her second book, Free Range Feet. I love that title. A a comprehensive go-to manual which offers extensive information on how to resolve foot problems and other maladies that occur in other parts of the body due to faulty foot mechanics. So excited. Geraldine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Kan, for inviting me to speak on your Light Warrior radio show. I'm so honored that to be chosen to be here with you and everyone, all the listeners today. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed your book. I think it's very important work that you're doing and definitely wanted to support that and wanted to let people know as well, if you're just joining us on the show, you can check out uh, Geraldine's website, PutYourBestFeetForward.com, all one word, PutYourBestFeetForward.com. And uh, Geraldine, because you know, you're know you brand new to our audience, I would love for you to share a little bit of your journey of how you came to figure out all this stuff and and to make these contributions in uh, reflexology and create structural reflexology. Sure, it's kind of a long story, 39 years, but I'll try to condense it. I've always been very drawn to feet, and I've learned a very uh, good sense of balance being a gymnast and working on a balance beam, and has that orientation made me feel 
uh, how my body moves with my feet. And I've noticed at a very young age that certain shoes limited my free range to move. And I found myself gravitating to being barefoot more than ever, more than often. And I think most people naturally do that too as an instinct to be free because your, your upper body responds to your feet. Your feet are guiding your entire body. And so if there's any imposition against muscles that are trying to move the foot, the body will also become impositioned and start to um, fold in and minimize potential power um, to move and to get from here to there. And this can be, this can accumulate over time. And that accumulation doesn't usually show up in the feet as a problem first. It's usually somehow in the body people are, tend to get exhausted and they don't know why. Uh, when feet become impaired or if they never take their shoes off, for instance, and they happen to wear shoes that define uh, a mold of some type. Um, and uh, there are, as you mentioned earlier, certain shoes that are uh, healthier for feet than others. And I learned it very young. I, I actually worked with my father uh, when I was very young. I come from a very large family. And I noticed his feet were very stiff. His calf muscles were very stiff. Of course, back then I had no idea what I was actually touching or why. I just felt inclined to help him relax, relax the muscles of his legs, relax his feet. And he always fell asleep and he seemed uh, to really enjoy it. So it sort of started there and it's built That's over. So sweet. Um, it's been very serendipitous. It's been a very serendipitous journey. And I think that I've been called to do this work and I, I feel grateful every day to be able to help so many people uh, recover from problems that are happening in their feet. And as a secondary result, their whole body feels much more invigorated and healthy. And I often get people telling me, uh, that their lives changed because of one or two sessions that I was able to help them unravel this tension that can start brewing in uh, our foundation. So that's, that's it in a nutshell, but it's certainly a lot longer than that. I've been traveling around the world. I've taught with some of the best instructors in the field of reflexology and in massage therapy. I'm a licensed massage therapist. And <clears throat> I have a Bachelor of Science in my my emphasis of study was incorrect in physiology. I was really interested in balance, how the body balances itself in space. And, of course, interjecting a little bit of information that I had learned through uh, studying uh, and taking workshops with uh, Tony Robbins in Mind Revolutions. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of life experience and um, practical experience. So. It's been a wonderful journey. I'm still moving. I still very, feel very passionate about this work, uh, traveling around the world, teaching around the world, and of course everything is on hold at the moment. Um, but I am excited to get back into uh, teaching again when we're all in a better state of, of uh, movement here on this planet. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think <laughs> about that. I appreciate that you read my book and you've gotten a gist of of what I'm about and, and, my, and my mission here as a foot reflexologist. Yeah, I think it's, 
you know, the the real cool thing is that empowerment piece that I'm always after and uh, to help, you know, support and empower people to, um, you know, work, heal themselves and things like that. And, and I think the big piece, one of the big, well, there's a lot of great takeaways from your book, but one of the biggest takeaways I want to talk about first is about shoes. Um, you have some yeah. really great diagrams and photos in your book about, like, what do little babies and little kids, before they get into shoes, what do their feet really look like, you know? And what does it right. look like just three months after putting putting shoes on? And I was just, like, shocked at the difference. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about shoes? Sure. Um, so the feet are the platform of our body, and they're very capable of holding the body up and moving the body. The muscles that attach to the feet all originate in the lower leg from the knee down. And those are long foot muscles, and they maneuver the foot and puppeteer the foot into movement. Um, when you put a shoe on your foot, you want to keep in mind that the anatomy of the foot and, and how those muscles are meant to move the foot. Because certain shoes can impose on foot function of any one of those muscles. And when it does, <clears throat> excuse me, when it does, it changes the dynamics of movement. And the body will respond to these little glitches that can happen. So, for example, um, a a tapered toe shoe will start to fold in the muscles that uh, pass uh, the arch of the foot, mainly the uh, forefoot. And there's a lot of muscles that come down the leg and cross uh, around the foot. And there's muscles in between the, the, the metatarsals that are meant to expand to provide a cushion for the forefoot to receive weight. Um, with the point itself in the shoe will not allow for that expansion of interosseous muscles that meant to spread the toes apart to create a cushion of stability for the metatarsals. And what happens is the upper body will respond with an abrupt uh, impact as weight at the metatarsals touches down on the floor. And it's that connection reflectively that starts to affect the chest, the breast tissue, the lung tissue, the lymph around the axillary area. And for this reason, I believe strongly that these pointed, very fashionable shoes that we don't seem to be able to let go of um, can, be, can be very detrimental to the health and well-being of uh, the wearer. So that's one example of how that typical shoe can impact the body. Another one, which seems very uh, innocuous and, and, and very benign, is the flip-flop, as you mentioned earlier. The flip-flop requires a tremendous amount of strength from muscles that, that are meant to move the foot. And instead, what happens is the the uh, the toes, even though it seems like it's not happening, it's very intricate, very very slight movement, but it's actually happening from power and inert and um, energy that's actually holding that shoe tightly to your foot. And when that happens, you forfeit function because muscles that are meant to move and propel and balance you are now 
uh, being called to manage a shoe. And this can be very, uh, this can create a lot of problems. One of the biggest ones that it causes in over a long period of time is a bunion, which is a dislocation of the first metatarsal and uh, the proximal phalange of the first toe. Um, and it, it's not that it just suddenly dislocates, it's the muscles that are meant to keep the great toe straight have been molded to, uh, to a shoe that, that necessitates function to keep the shoe on rather than necessitating function for movement. And when you start well, walking... I, I just wanted to yeah. interrupt you just for a sec there because I think that I, in the past, even through med school and stuff like that, I, I kind of recognize, okay, pointy shoes, not so good for you, right? But the flip-flop, I thought... Um, now, first of all, my it's funny because my mom and I really, you know, couldn't stand the flip-flops where you had the little thing in between the first and second toe. We just thought it was so irritating, but it was so popular, <laughs> right? We are trying to get used to my it. Mom too. And then the Asian way, usually uh, they have those, and then they have the ones that go through the whole forefoot. But um, unless they're really, really tight, you're still, you've got the stiff base, and you're still trying to keep it on. And so I never exactly. really liked them, but I had to and learn to, to like a- them. I don't mean to, you know, rain on anyone's flip-flop parade because they're fun. They're meant, they were always meant to be a beach shoe, though. It was designed to allow people to get to the beach, to carry their towels and, and whatnot to the hot, over the hot sand to get to the beach. That was their initial function. And what happens, what I'd like to um, suggest to people, if they're not really sure if they're using their feet, is to try to run in them. You run as fast (laughs) as you can in those flip-flops and tell me how you did. How was your performance? And this will tell you, a lot of people just kick them off because they know they cannot run. So my my idea is if you put a shoe on your foot and you kick it and it flies off, you're going to have to manage the shoe with your toes, so you're going to forfeit function. And um, one other... uh, interesting connection I've made over the years with curling toes to manage a shoe is that it does affect the sinuses because that last piece of movement that happens when toes carry the, um, the weight of the body is the neck actually gets to respond with a little bit of um, motion. But if your toes are not available, and you can all try this at home right now, and placing your bare feet on the floor and stand up and then curl your toes and watch your upper body. You'll notice that it might pull forward and your chest might cave in a little bit. This is what happens while walking in a shoe and it makes the whole upper head move forward and that, um, it minimizes lymphatic flow, the cranium. And so a lot of people can end up with sinus issues because of the inefficiency of lymph to come in and cleanse those cavities in the, in the sinuses and the head. Um, so I have been able to link a lot of uh, sinus issues, chronic sinus issues, to the shoes that people wear. I've seen it over and over again. Oh, that is so fascinating. I remember my massage therapist, Dan, when he would work on my toes and the sinus areas, they were so sore. <laughs> I, I was like, bet. Ah, you know? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, because I'd gotten used to trying to wear flip-flops, you know, like um, because I thought that my toes were free, maybe it's better for me, right, not thinking about the mechanics of it, which you're talking about, and, and I could see these hammer toes showing or starting to show up um, on myself and then definitely on my on my mom. She's got a lot of foot issues. And those can be corrected. I've, I've worked with people in their 80s who have been in, in the wrong size shoe, which develops uh, a deformity of the, of the distal toes or even the, the mid-intermediate um, phalange. And I was surprised to hear one time that this one client of mine, I worked on him twice, who was wearing a shoe, um, a size 12 and a half shoe, but he measured a size 15. He'd been wear, doing this in wearing shoes, not taking his shoes off very much. It developed deformity in his toes. He had a lot of sinus issues, hearing issues. Um, but I heard from his daughter a couple years later who came in to see me with a plantar fasciitis issue, and she said, oh, by the way, my father wanted to let you know that his toes have straightened because he doesn't wear his shoes in the house anymore, and he got his size 15 shoes. It was wow. pretty And so I, I wasn't expecting that to happen with someone in, as an elder um, but it's possible to make these corrections that can change the physiology of your of um, and mechanics of the body pretty dramatically in, in a very short amount of time too. Oh, that's a, that's really great. Well, you know, my mom is almost eighty, and this is what she tells me that she's had these numb toes for quite a while now. We haven't been able to. Uh, well, I'm not really there, but you know what I mean? I haven't been able to kind of get her out of that symptom. And she's been, you know, more or less uh, following, you know, the dietary advice and, you know, other things that I tell her to do. Uh, and, um, you know, we, she says to me, this is very interesting. I think you'll find it very interesting. She says, I'm fine at home. I, never, I hate wearing shoes, she says. I love being barefoot at home. I said, what about being barefoot outside? Oh, no, 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 no. Because when she was a child, she saw someone cut their foot being barefoot, and that scarred her, you know, like she would never, ever, ever yeah. go barefoot. I said, well, you're not getting grounding. But I said, at least you're barefoot. She goes, oh, I love being barefoot. But she says, I can't be, I can't be barefoot outside. And then everywhere I go, she tries to buy these shoe brands, you know, with a big toe box. And now she has these, you know, really bad bunions, and her toes go all the way to one side. And, um, you know, the, the podiatrist, and I know you're going to talk about this in a moment, you know, had given her, like, art supports. Um, and she would have so much pain trying these new art supports. She only had one that actually worked out well um, that a friend of mine here, a phys physical therapist, made here in town when she was visiting me years ago. And then, of course, they, they, um, they got worn and got thrown out. But she had so much trouble. And every time they changed something, like put a wedge here, an art support there, she has massive pain because she can't get used to it. And I said, do you have pain when you're walking bare feet, like inside – the house oh no <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out like what can I give her you know that she can walk outside but it not be so big a shift that she's not in pain from like detoxing or something like that so I think that's super interesting about you know your your talk about shoes and then how she just prefers not not to literally she goes outside and she almost falls flat I mean she cannot balance herself Right. Well, because she's lost function of her toes, which is all about balance. If you lose yep. function in your toes, um, that's the last piece, which are the brakes that kind of 
stop you from falling on your head, forward on your head. Yeah. But, you know, your mom has some um, dismantled uh, architecture in her feet. Um, and so uh, what happens when she walks outside is the train is, is, is uh, even. So she can't adapt to uneven right. surfaces. And so that's what you lose um, out on is uh, the ability for your foot to adapt. Um, so that um, happened years ago, and your mom is of that generation that probably wore shoes a lot. And foot, um, the dismantled foot is very silent. It happens over a period of time, and most times feet don't even hurt while it's happening. But you do right. end up with a lot My of shoes don't hurt me. Your upper body, and so for your mom, um, I she may be. Uh, I'm glad she found something that makes her feel comfortable in her shoes. It might be she just doesn't quite have enough room in her in her shoes. But I wish I lived closer. I'd be delighted to work with your mom and um, and and help her to recover some uh, better joint articulation and alignment. Um, I do passive foot mobilization, which is after I release muscle and ligament tension um, in, the, in the muscles on the foot and the muscles that move the foot and the ligament structure that holds the bones together, the feet have a better chance to hold the body up and then the muscles can propel and balance the foot better. And I've had this happen with many people, um, even with the worst deformity. Um, if they can gain... Um, movement or stability, it's a big deal and it's very incremental uh, success for them, but they, they feel it. And um, your, your mom um, is, is a person I would suggest does need to have some sort of stability uh, if she isn't able to get to someone who does structural reflexology to help her because she doesn't want to fall. You know, this isn't a good thing. Um, right, she kind of wears that. But I, I'm pleased to hear that she feels comfortable in walking barefoot in the house, and I think that would be, uh, that's probably what saves her. Um, you know, it's hard to be objective because I can't see her feet. I can visualize them. But, um, yeah, there, there's a certain... Yeah, she wears a, she the uses a walker. Uh, she uses a walker when she's outside, but at home she doesn't. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good idea so, for her. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't have her be superwoman out there trying to walk barefoot with the feet that you just described to me. I think the walking right. is no, a that's, really that's safe a idea for her. <laughs> but well, bring uh, her you know, she's actually getting to see her, Doctor Can. If if you can ever manage oh, she's, it, she's I, in Markham, Toronto. So you maybe oh, you'll be in, in Markham, Toronto. She's not oh. a big driver in Toronto, but so she's in the Chinese community in Markham. So if you have anybody, I, uh, she used to love going I to reflexology. Do. I know it's not. I oh, do that's have great. Some in because, Toronto. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah. Absolutely. She, she's not willing to go downtown. <laughs> but, yes, I've got you know, we'll see where they are. Um, perfect. Yeah. And I will actually be teaching in Toronto again um, next spring. Um, but yes, I can nice. definitely refer to some of my um, my colleagues there. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Uh, well, she's uh, she's you know trying. She's very open. She's trying different things. She actually tried something called naboso. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those soles that little has like these little nubbins in them, so it stimulates the bottom of the feet. And they've shown that Parkinson's patients will go from not being able to walk to running like right away. Wow, so I don't know if you've seen those. <laughs> that's pretty remarkable. Wow, has she tried? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, she, you know, she's super sensitive to changing, and so she was open to trying it. And I think um, I told her to try it for shorter periods of time, which I guess I didn't specify yeah. what shorter periods mean. But she did it for two hours, and then she had massive back pain the next day. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so obviously, it did something. Yes. Well, you know, those are, um, you know, it's a reflexology um, tool, and. It's honestly not going to be very corrective, and so, um, in my opinion, and I, I know I, I have been around when those came out in the eighties, you know. Um, and what happens is, it's you're right about wearing them short periods of time because they can be very stimulating to reflexes, and they they definitely can affect bowel movement, um, and um, you know, it definitely does something to the metabolism. Um, but on a structural and mechanical point of view, it really isn't going to address tension that causes these sites in the feet because all of those muscles are found in the, in the lower leg, in the calf muscles, in the shin muscle. Um, so in order to make a real correction, all of that has to be, all the muscles that move the foot have to be addressed. And the ligaments can have multiple injuries that also need to be touched and um, so that the, the bones can find their normal position. Um, yeah, but they're interesting. There's a lot of interesting things out there to help feet, and I think some of them are quite valid. Um, but what in her case, or in someone who has plantar fasciitis, they need a little bit more rehabilitation and someone to go a little farther with them to resolve uh, the problems that they're having. Right. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And she used to love going to the reflexologist, but then she moved to a different town and her favorite person, you know, was so far away and she stopped going. And, um, you know, I think that, that even though it wasn't structural reflexology, um, she just really just overall felt better. Like just all yeah. the parts of her well. felt better. And, and yeah, now she's struggling because she had a little accident. Now she's struggling with this knee pain for over a year and, you know, she's not seeing that reflexologist. So um, uh, I, I definitely think that, you know, that, that her feet were really, when she was seeing a person, at least it was giving her that constant um, beneficial effect, even if it wasn't, you know, necessarily corrective, but it was still helpful. Well, it was corrective to a degree for sure. Yeah, I think that any reflexology anyone can have is going to be very helpful. Um, to the entire body. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about plantar fasciitis. Now, I was so glad to, to read in your book what you shared about the anatomy there. And um, what I noticed as a medical doctor is that, and as you know, that most medical doctors will treat the, the, the plantar fascia by injecting with corticosteroids, which is not the funnest thing um, to do. I used to love doing it, not to have it received, mind you, but because <laughs> I thought it was cool. Um, 
and, you know, trying to help these people. Uh, but what I noticed when I was doing acupuncture was that early on, um, it, whatever, I, when I was acupuncturing near the plantar fascia, it, it wouldn't work. And I thought, that's interesting. So then I just kind of was feeling, you know, their ankle and stuff. And I'm like, wow, they're the fascia on the back of their calf is super tight. So what I decided to do was I was going to actually treat the calf. Um, and so when I did that, then the plantar fascia got better. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then in some cases I had to treat all the way up to the hip. So I was like, oh, so error was thinking it's in the foot. Uh, I mean that, that, that the, you know, just treating the foot was going to do it, but I really had to treat all upline of that, and that's pretty much what you talk about in, in the book. So I thought that was super interesting. I figured it out eventually. Yes. You are so smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you follow the, the path of the zone, of the path of, of, um, of instability, and it does. It goes all the way to the top of the head, and that's reflexology in a nutshell where you're feeling slice of pain on the foot um, will change the position of the body. If you drew a line from that spot and drew it all the way to the top of your head, everything in that line would be affected somehow because of um, how the feet can hold the body or how they're not and how the body starts to adapt to being in pain by different things that, it, that we do. Um, but plantar fasciitis, you know, that's a big umbrella term. A lot of people that come to see me with plantar fasciitis um, point to several different places of pain. Um, it could be on the inside of the heel. It could be on the outside of the heel. It could be on the bottom of the heel. Sometimes they feel it in uh, the balls of the foot. Um, but basically what I believe it is in a nutshell is just a very confused foot that is under strain and not mechanically or structurally aligned. So muscles that attach anywhere on the foot start to pull at their attachment sites. And if we walk on these sites uh, and put our 98% of our weight on this spot while we're walking that is not aligned, it will continue to irritate and inflame and in some cases tear uh, muscle tissue and fascia. Um, but it's, it takes a lot for that to happen because the ligament structure of these um, can withstand the weight of over 7,000 pounds per square inch. They're very wow. rugged. They're, yeah, they're very uh, uh, capable of carrying our weight even while we're holding weight. Um, it can do it. As long as the feet are aligned, you don't notice. But if feet become misaligned and you put weight on a misaligned foot, the muscles will start to show. So a lot of plantar fasciitis is just that. It's misalignment being communicated through pain. Um, so just simply injecting something into a spot that's painful, um, to me, is it falls short of uh, correction. And I know a lot of people have this, and then they end up with these sites of pain from the injection um, because you've, you've irritated an overly irritated site. Um, and it doesn't necessarily help. But I think your idea of going up into the cap where a lot of contracture happens from muscles that become inflamed over and over again, it travels all the way up through the tissue in the calf muscles. 
and it sort of encases these muscles so when they are able to move, they can't because the tissue is too thick around them. And the, the fact that you acupuncture to break that uh, fascia was what seemed like impossible. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot involved in making the correction. So plantar fasciitis involves every single muscle that moves the foot. And there's 13 of them that attach from the, from the knee. Uh, down to the foot, and the main one that seems to be problematic is uh, when it becomes a chronic issue is the posterior tibialis muscle, which is a very the deepest um, lower leg muscle in the posterior leg. It comes down and attaches in several places on the arch of the foot, and um, this one seems to be. Uh, most problematic and where a lot of the tears can happen. But there's, there could be tears anywhere in many of the muscles of the foot where plantar fascia is concerned. So I usually uh, assess what's happening with uh, the feet by having my clients walk on a kerosene mat that shows me how their feet are bearing weight. And this often reveals sites, uh, pinpointed sites like that. Uh, bursa on the bottom of the foot where a lot of people complain of plantar fasciitis. It'll show up in the ink press on, their, on the paper. Um, and so I will see that that's problematic. And when I see that pinpoint, I know the calf muscles, especially the gastrocnemius and soleus, need to be relaxed because the tension is so great where it attaches to the heel the back of the heel, is that it, those muscles are actually pulling the back of the calcaneal bone upward and it's exposing the plantar fascia sites where the bone spurs attach on the bottom of the foot. So there's, um, the foot is not actually being placed correctly on the foot. And that's actually an easy one to recover from. And um, uh, as far as plantar fascia symptoms, that's probably one of the first signs that the foot's in trouble. Is that pain on the heel? Okay. Well, and and you mentioned in your book about the the fat pad uh, actually moving or migrating, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. Yes, that fat pad can move um, with tissue with fascia, um, and that can certainly move to the medial side of the foot, to the lateral side, and it it may show up as uh, swelling. Um, but this can all be recovered. And the more you use your foot, your muscles actually become your protection. Uh, if you walk barefoot, your, your foot muscles become so strong, they become your, uh, your shoes and in a way. So if you're not walking very much, those muscles will atrophy and that fat pad will, will become more exposed and break down. So, um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't actually uh, walk a lot, except that now that I'm more home, <laughs> uh, the dog is very happy because we're walking outside. Oh, no, and it's funny because, yeah, well, at the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm feeling some muscles that are getting exercise, and I'm not used to it. Like, I figure skate, and I do now some CrossFit, and I do, uh, you know, martial arts, but I just didn't walk, you see. So I thought that was interesting that these muscles were like, hey, I'm here when I was walking. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Um, gosh, I have so many questions for you. Um, by the way, for folks tuning in live, if you'd like to ask Geraldine a question, the number to call in is uh, 
what? Oh, sorry, where is it? Where am I? Okay, here we go. Eight one eight five one four eleven ninety and hit one so we know your hand is up. Again, eight one eight five one four eleven ninety. And if you would like to check out the website for Geraldine, it's putyourbestfeetforward.com. So all one word putyourbestfeetforward.com and you can just check in there's a blog there and then of course her book which we're talking about today put your best feet forward and then you have a new book uh coming out right yeah uh, that that's uh super exciting maybe tell us a little bit about that sure i actually have a meeting with my editor tomorrow um it's a um it's a manual for troubleshooting and it's for practitioners, mainly of healthcare practitioners, of, of anyone who's interested in working with feet in general. Um, just a little bit more elaborate on describing foot issues, how uh, these foot issues start to translate as problems in other parts of the body. And oftentimes, um, people will seek out surgical procedures for upper body issues that could be happening. Um, and not understanding that, it could be uh, stemming from a foot problem, and I'll explain that. Um, one, of the, um, one of the most interesting things that I've been noticing is that certain things are starting to happen in upper body based on when alignment of feet are not sound. And one of them is I've noticed when people are... are not walking barefoot very much, um, and they're wearing shoes that even slightly taper their, their toes, it atrophies the fourth and fifth uh, toes of their um, foot. And I've noticed this, I've, I've assessed this through these ink press, um, ink prints that I was telling you about. When a person places and walks on this ink print, they, I have people walk rather than just stand still. And those people that do not touch down, their foot does not connect at the fourth and fifth toe, and all I see are three toes or even four toes, but not five, these people have one thing in common, and that is they all have numbing and tingling down their fourth and fifth fingers. So this is an example is I'm trying to, I want to help people to understand how problems can arise in the body, in the upper body, based on their foot mechanics. So what I ask questions about to um, validate this is when I found that on these prints of people who are not using their fourth and fifth toes when they're walking, um, I noticed that they're wearing shoes that don't fit the shape of their foot and the size is off by sometimes two and a half sizes, three sizes too, too small and they have no idea. So what happens is the upper body is also compromised and it also becomes um, uh, squelched is all I can think of to say, but it minimizes the ability for the upper body to just relax. And so it, it pulls the shoulder inward, and there's a network of nerves that comes down through the shoulder area called the brachial plexus, and muscle, muscles can actually create impingement on those nerves that feed the fourth and fifth fingers. So I've noticed that a lot of these people are seeking carpal tunnel surgery, 
they're having brachial uh, plexopathy surgeries. They're getting lots of cutting, 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 cutting. And this is not going to, in my opinion, be the best option. Um, I think initially someone should have their feet checked to make sure that their foundation is all there so that their upper body can relax. This takes the impingement away from the um, brachial plexus and then the innervation can be restored to those fingers. And I've seen it happen over and over again. People have uh, canceled their carpal tunnel uh, surgery because they have actually had restoration in their brachial nerves. It doesn't happen overnight, but some people it, it, it's a pretty quick response. So I, I Ooh, that's exciting. in the body to the possibility of being a foot problem first. So, um, mm. yeah, so that's one of the That makes so much sense. Excuse me, Karen? What did you say? I just said it makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, it really does, and there's a lot more. So this book is, is traces foot problems to other parts of the body and then addresses other problems that are happening in the body as a possibility of being a foot problem. I'm not saying that it always is, but why not uh, check it out before you go and decide to have uh, surgeries that may not be necessary? Right, exactly. I love that. Uh, might as well. That's that's so, so good. I'm looking forward to that <laughs> book as well. <laughs> it's going to be very uh, user-friendly. Uh, it'll be tabs, okay. so you can go right to your issue, and you can, uh, you know, mention something about your body. I've got this going on. You can go to that uh, glossary and say, what did she say about this? And then it'll, it'll point you to what I believe could be happening as a foot problem that could be creating the problem in other parts of the body. It also addresses foot problems, too. <laughs> so, okay. Um, troubleshooting for foot problems. Okay, cool. Um, so some of the questions that I had was around, well, there's a bunch, but um, I'll get to these. I'm just kind of doing them in random order. Um, you mentioned in your book about how people aren't being measured properly for their feet, and then you talk about how the arch length can be really variable in people, and then you have to get the right size shoe based on the arch length, not just the heel to toe length. Um, so maybe you can share a little bit about how do, how do people do that and, and how possibly could somebody in a size 7 now fit into a size 5. I didn't really get that part. Um, no, somebody wouldn't go into a – if they measured a size 7 and they had a 5 arch, they would get a size 7. It's just that their arches are quite short. Um, so they would end up ah. with complications in their big toe. Yeah, so – um, I use the Brannock measuring device. It's really calibrated. Uh, it's really calibrated ingeniously. This, this Dr. Brannock really knew what he was talking about. Um, so there's a there's a correct measurement, and a lot of the shoe store uh, people aren't really uh, they don't really understand the critical measurements of the arch. But there's, for example, seven people. Uh, there could be um, three people that measure a size seven shoe from their length of their heel to their toe. But two of those people might have a long arch, which is measured by the beak that moves uh, along the side of the foot. That beak fits into the area of the metatarsophalangeal joint. And there's a line uh, that is supposed to line up right where the joint, the, the um, 
the first metatarsal meets the, the first phalangeal joint, right where the joint is, that line comes down and, and so you would, you would line that piece up with the arch of the foot and that reading is, may or may not be different. So 20% um, of the population of the world, and this has been a study done by Dr. Simon Wickler and by Dr. Uh, John Martin Hiss, um, they have, with thousands and tens of thousands of people that they worked with, found that 20% um, of the population can actually fit into the modern manufactured shoe. Because when people make shoes, they need to make them a lot of them, and they don't really think about everybody's different feet. And some people have one foot that's different than the other. One arch might be different than the other. So they just make shoes, you know, right across the line the same. So for these size seven shoes, the arch would be designed as uh, as a size seven when they you use that little knob that calibrates the arch. Only 20% of the population can fit into the modern manufactured shoe that's made this way. 70% of the population have long arches, so they might measure seven in their toe to heel length. But when you measure from the ball of the foot, the metatarsal phalangeal joint, back to the heel, they might measure an eight and a half or even a nine. So wow, yes, yeah, it happens all the time. Seventy percent. So this person that is trying to wear a size seven um, cannot use their arch functionally, and their bones in their in their foot will start to buckle and start to even bulge and ligaments and might get strained and they might find that they trip a lot or they sprain their ankles because their whole foot will buckle. Um, and the reason this happens is because that arch is meant to be a spring and shock absorber for your body. But if there isn't enough room in that shoe for that size nine to actually spring and, and be a shock absorber for body weight, then it will just sort of buckle. And the back will respond by becoming um, tight as well, because the arch of the foot represents the the arc, the spinal column, the, the vertebrae. So that's an yeah, example. Yeah, that's great. Of, I love that part That's of the what book. I see most of the time, and that's why most people are in the wrong size shoes, because they're not buying shoes that fit their arch. So someone who comes in wearing a size seven, and I measure an eight and a half, I do suggest that they look into getting a pair of shoes that are is an eight and a half, um, or at least an eight to start off with. Um, and by the way, one size difference between a seven and an eight is just three eighths of an inch. It's really not that big. But I would have them wear those shoes in the house to get their feet to adapt to uh, the arch moving again in the way that it's supposed to. But these people often end up with lots of low back issues, lots of neck issues when they start wearing shoes that do not fit the arch. And just one quick thing ah. to mention about the short arch, 10% of the population have a short arch. So they might measure a size 7 toe to heel, but their arch might be a 6 like mine. My arch is actually a uh, 6. But I measure, well, I measure a 6.5 toe to heel. But just that half measurement made, uh, it, it was my arch in, my, in the shoes that I wore were too short for the length of, uh, of the arch in the size seven was too long for my short arches. So it pressed 
against that first metatarsal, it put pressure on that first metatarsal because it stopped my, my arch from being able to move correctly. I hope that's clear. What do you it's, do? It's, this is really tough to articulate in words because I often use images when I'm speaking. Oh, right, right. Well, I just didn't understand for people with a short arch, what options do they have? Just custom shoes? Well, what they have for options is they wear shoes that don't define where their arch rests in the shoe. So this is a shoe um, that does not have any form for where their their arch sits. So um, the foot can just be a natural foot in, um, in a protective covering. And there's some great shoes out there that allow that. Um, uh, can you give us some brand names you like? Yeah, the, my favorite rehab shoe, which is also a really fun training shoe, is called the ALTRA Ultra. And they have uh, varying degrees of flexibility. And <clears throat> this shoe allows the foot to perform uh, in the arch to be able to shock absorb the weight of the body. And it also <clears throat> directs weight in the appropriate area of the foot that is supposed to be structurally weight-bearing. Um, so that if you want to choose a shoe that allows your foot to not be defined by an arch. Now, the size 7 person with a 9 arch, they have to get a shoe or, uh, that, fits, that allows that arch to be able to be a springboard for them. They need to have a size 9 in order for that foot to be functional, the arch to be functional. And it shouldn't happen all at once. This is something that you graduate into um, because even a two size is a big jump for one person. So I have them, you know, buy one pair of shoes at a time and get their feet to rehabilitate. It doesn't take long to do this. And over a period of months, some people go right into it right off and they don't have any problems, but other people may not be as adaptable. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that's what I, I suggest uh, to get the feet to be more functional and adaptable. So you lose a lot of adaptability when you're in a shoe that doesn't allow the arch to perform. Oh, got it. So in just to reiterate, if someone has a long arch, uh, but if they use a shoe that is not defined by an arch, like that doesn't have an arch in it, can they still use the same size or should they still go up? One or two sizes no, based on their need, arch length. They need to go. They need to go up in size because the okay. the springboard means that that arch is actually moving. It's actually springing, and it's it, it's got a little bit of recoil that happens, and it needs the room to be able to uh, absorb the weight of the body. So it's going to have to recoil. The ligaments are going to have to move a bit. Um, so they do need to go up in size. The ah, all right, got it. But they don't want to go down inside because they need it for the room right. from their length toe to heel. Is that clear? Right, okay. <laughs> I understand <laughs> that it, now. Okay. It, it, is, yeah, is there any other you know, issue <laughs> brand you recommend? Um, the brand that I recommended was the Ultra. It's the superior, well, I, the one I have is the Superior 3.0. Um, they have other brands that are a little bit more, uh, have more cushion, which is the Torin, which is something that if someone had been wearing orthotics, 
um, for yeah. years. This is one of the shoes I might have them graduate towards in their effort to wear shoes that are more minimal. Um, ah. And then there's some shoes that are even more minimal, like the um, the five fingers, uh, <clears throat> the vibrant five fingers, which um, is, it requires a very strong foot. It'll definitely get your feet very strong if you wear them, but it might be too much too soon. And it isn't a shoe I would recommend off the bat. Um, I wear them um, when I run, but I don't. I'm not a long endurance runner. I do short-term running. But there are people that do wear them long distance. But you have to have very strong feet to be able to um, for the demand. I just started. Wearing those regularly last year. At first, the first pair I got, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's stretching my pinky so awful. I don't think I like them. And uh, but now I realize that since I've worked on my feet a little bit, that hey, I really like them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. Congratulations. That's great. Well, I think one of the things I learned from my colleague D.L. Walker, uh, who, the uh, the other foot specialist, she says she says that there's one thing I want you to concentrate on. She says I want you to make sure you push off your big toe. And then I realized when she said that that unconsciously I've been walking on the outsides of my feet and not pushing off the big toe because I thought my my arches were swell, you know fallen so-called fallen, my, I have in this accessory navicular on the one side, you know, I wanted to like keep my arches up unconsciously, so I kept walking on the outside of my feet, not pushing off the big toe, and she's like, no, 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 you need to push off your big toe. Right, that's so the last So I can do that better in the shoe. Well, so you're feeling stronger now, your feet. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I still, you know, have this bunion on the left, and, and of course, in my case, I'm unfortunately in a figure skating boot three or four times a week. Um, and I'm feeling so restricted. I mean, I feel, I mean, I got them prop- so-called properly measured, and they're so much better than the custom-made ones I have. But still, it's like a cast, right? Well, yeah. Like so what do you do with any ballroom dancing or ballet, which I've, I've worked with both uh, professionals in the field, is you, it's what you do after to rehab your feet from, what, from the shoe that and wearing um, the dancing shoe, the skate, uh, the cleats, you know, things like that. Then, then just having some information behind your hands about how to take care of your feet so they can come back to normalcy. Because shoes will, um, you can, um, your, your shoes can mold your feet. And if you, if you keep molding and molding and molding and never take the time to work them back out in the muscles that move those foot, the feet um, worked out, then it's going to accumulate into a problem. So uh, that's okay. what I would suggest is um, yeah, that's a, taking that's the a time great to idea. figure out how to restore feet after wearing shoes like that or skates. Okay, that's yeah, definitely. Um, so the uh, yeah, and I do notice a little bit of a difference now that I, I can't skate because the arenas are closed that some of the chronic uh, tightness in the calf area, um, it's gone. Like yeah. I haven't noticed it. So that must have right. been from that, that shoe rubbing and the tightness and things like that. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your opinion on t- uh, toe separators. I think that um, the correct toes, um, Dr. Uh, McClanahan, I forgot his first name, uh, is Mark them, they are 
really good rehab. Of course, it's not going to, um, I think that on top of everything else, the structural reflexology, all brought together as a package could be very corrective for bunions um, in the interim. Um, I have been able to help really tension causing bunions, but what this can do is in the interim make sure that your feet and toes can keep that alignment. Um, you can wear them in shoes and um, it, the toe separator on its own, I know there are some things out there that just separate toes. That isn't enough. That actually could create more inflammation and you might feel like, oh, I can't wait to take those off. If it never improves, if it, if it becomes a chore and you think, oh, I just I can't do it, you know, it's probably uh, too, uh, too much too soon. Uh, because the, that isn't, the bunion is not the problem. It's a symptom. I mean, it is a problem, but it's not, um, it's a symptom of a problem happening, happening elsewhere in the foot, and it's usually a dislocated cuboid bone. Um, and then the muscles that attach across the cuboid or uh, attach to the cuboid, which are a lot of t great toe stabilizers, um, they all need to have their tension released. Uh, in order for bones to have better alignment because the muscles pull, attach and pull across joints, pull joints together. So we want to release that right. tension. So a correct toe on its own isn't going to do that for you. You have to include a lot of other things and all the wonderful things out there that can relax calf muscles. If you don't know a structural reflexologist in your area, you can certainly... Um, Work out your own calves. You can do some stretches on stairs. Um, you want to be barefoot when that happens. Make sure you're hanging onto something. And also keep in mind when you're doing a, uh, a stretch, and I'm not talking about going on your toes, but dropping your heels below the stair tread and holding just for five seconds and then relax. Go up on your toes for one second. Go down. Uh, let your heels drop below the stair tread for five seconds. And just do that about five consecutive times. That in itself can release tension in all the muscles that move those toes. Um, there's a lot of tricks that can be done, but um, the correct uh, that type of thing is not going to, uh, it, it on its own, be corrected enough. Mm, yeah, I was thinking that some people can uh, walk in them, and maybe that's may kind of, sort of, do some therapy by being able to well, walk with the toe separator? Well, you really can. I, um, walk. You know, the toes are all about stabilizing the upper body and the brakes for the head, so the head doesn't lop off. Um, you know, it's an, an important part of stability. So if you find yourself shuffling around, that's not walking. Like you said, like right. your, your therapist had mentioned, using your toes to actually propel you forward. That's what they're meant to do, especially that great toe. Each individual toe gets their turn as weight is being transferred from the heel all the way to the great toe. And then the arch uh, muscles and the great toe muscle springs the foot uh, forward. Um, in a correct toe, which would allow that great toe to be more aligned, that would be beneficial for the bunions. Um, the person with bunions, for sure, because that will help initiate that springing forward. Because someone with a bunion that's so deformed, they can't they can't use their great toe 
um, very functionally anymore. And they end up usually um, using the ball of their great toe as their propeller or the inside of their great toe as their propeller. But that's, that can be very damaging to those joints. Right, exactly. When, and, of course, you know, part of my uh, my uh, uh, inspiration to uh, interview you on this show is uh, for my mom, <laughs> as you know. And um, I was wondering, with with the Bannock measuring device, which is like 50 bucks on Amazon, uh, like how would I measure her size if her big toe and second toe are all skewed towards the lateral side? So I don't really know what her real length is. Right. Well, you would have her stand and make sure she's hanging onto something. Stand on top of the, the Brannock measuring device. Make sure it's on a, a carpet or something so it doesn't slip. Make sure that she does not look down and look at the measurement. Have her keep her chin straight, her body relaxed, full weight into that one leg. And what you're going to do is, with her permission, lift her toes and try to get them to um, gently relax enough so that you can straighten them as much as possible. Um, ah. Yeah, and um, she will have a wide uh, measurement because there's a sidebar on the opposite side that you push towards the, the greatest part uh, of the foot to measure her width. But, um, yeah, so... You don't want too much more room. She actually needs the shoe to be part of the stabilizing factor, but not so much that it would hurt her toe. Um, But, yeah, so she, you would have to lift her toes up and make sure that she's hanging on. Okay, so just try to kind of straighten them to get a measurement. Yes, you would have to lift her her toes and... um, and try to measure that way. But like I said, she's the type of person that will need a shoe that is more of a platform for her foundation and a little bit safer, I think, if she's outside walking. Um, but something that's comfortable, <clears throat> and if she has an insert that feels comfortable for her, she's going to need about a half size more room in her shoe to put that insert in um, because it will shorten the shoe. But you don't want it to be sloppy. Um, it should feel... It should feel secure and comfortable. There's no break right. right. I love that part in your book, too. Like, if you have to break in your shoes, they're not the right shoes to buy. <laughs> <laughs> they're almost broken in. Right. Well, that's not oh good. Gosh. It breaks the foot to adapt to the Exactly. Shoes. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I intuitively, I thought that was true. I thought it was ridiculous that my friends kept saying, oh, I have to break in my new shoes. I'm like, why do you have to break in new shoes? Like, we don't have that term in Chinese, that, that term breaking in new shoes. Like, it just, we just, it was just kind of a new concept, you know, when we came to Canada and I grew up in Canada, people talking about that. And I'm thinking, aren't your shoes supposed to be comfortable when you first buy them? <laughs> I just didn't understand. Exactly. Oh, do that and, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you recommend people do like a uh, standing on a football massager? I know one of my Pilates coaches says that I shouldn't sit so much, you know, typing and doing stuff on the computer just to stand and like put a tennis ball or something under my foot and, you know, anyway, your thoughts on that? Um, as long as you don't constantly do it because you can actually irritate and inflame fascia, you know, so I would do it 
um, maybe as a daily routine. Um, if you wanted to do it in the morning um, or if you're at your desk, but don't have a ball there and just constantly doing that. I think that's very damaging and it's not necessary. There are certain nubby balls out there that I think are fantastic. You could use those to stand on. And, but be, try to be conscious of what you're doing and, and not uh, get a, let it get away, the exercise get away with you so you um, know how much you're, you're doing for each foot and why you're doing it. I think you need to, it needs to be purposeful and not just this little gimmick that you have um, under your, your desk. But I, I know that when I was in college, I used a little ball on my foot uh, when I was tired. <laughs> if I wanted to get energized, I would do that, or even on my hands. Um, and it works for those reasons. So those would be times and purposeful times to, to pull out that ball. Um, and, um, but just be aware of, of that you can harm your feet. Little nubby things that people put in their shoes can uh, create calluses which desensitizes nerves that need uh, feedback uh, to give to your body. Mm, okay. So uh, before we close for today, uh, do you have any suggestions for people as far as if they wanted to, like, start working on if they uh, before they see a structural reflexologist like how they can work on their own feet of all, if, if if at all to help themselves yeah well i had mentioned one and um that is uh if you're feeling uh pain in the arch or in your heel um you can i i think soaking your feet in epsom salt uh, is fantastic might be something you want to do first or the day, um, and then I, I think any time after that, walking barefoot helps with keeping the muscles and the intelligence of the mechanics. But each muscle that moves the foot works in tandem. It, it's a relay action. One lifts, one places, one dragging, one propels. There is all timed, and uh, so walking barefoot helps to. Uh, restore the relay action of, of movement. And then standing on a stair uh, with the pads of your foot hanging onto a railing, keeping your chin uh, perpendicular to the floor. You can go up on one on your toes for one second and let your heels drop for three to five seconds. Go up on your toes no more than two seconds on that up because the upward position is what's creating the pulling effect of muscles on that calcaneal, um, the calcaneus. So we're trying to stretch and restore muscle length. Um, if you have uh, the posterior tib problem where the plantar fasciitis is moving towards the inner side of the arch, you can do the same exercise, stare exercise, where you would move up, uh, you would place your toes and pads of your feet on the stair tread. So up on your toes for one or two seconds, and this is while your feet are in a V position. So your heels are closer together, your forefoot is further apart. And then when you go, when you release your heels on the stair tread in a downward position, you hold your feet in this V position, and you won't get very far um, for about three to five seconds. And it'll happen, uh, depend on your your range of comfort. So you need to be honest with yourself. This isn't an exercise to, to force. It's really using your body weight and the leverage of the stretch to 
restore length and uh, flexibility in those muscles. So that would be for plantar fasciitis. I think it's a great one. And also using a tennis ball along um, from the heel all the way to the top of your toe and back. And I would do this along each individual toe until you get to the great toe. And then use that same tennis ball in the middle of your foot, in the arch of your foot, and move your foot back and forth over the ball. So the caveness um, of your arch moves over the ball medially or towards the inside of your body or laterally towards the outside of your body. And that is a great restorative exercise for the bones that transfer weight from the outside of the foot to your toes. Um, those are really the best ones um, I can think of. And of course, try to find someone who really knows how to measure feet because all of those exercises will just, um, you won't gain much if you, then you put your foot into a shoe that's too small. So that's really critical, is making sure that you're in a shoe that fits the shape and size of your foot and your arch and a shoe that allows your foot to be as functional as possible. And if you have dislocation in your foot, um, it would be great to seek out someone who can help you, um, such as a structural reflexologist. Mm, that's fantastic. Now, on your website, putyourbestfeetforward.com, is there actually a, a spot where people can look for um, certified reflexologists and structural reflexology? I, I haven't gotten a list together um, for um, practitioners yet, but I um, I have a few people that I few choice people that I have trained around the world who I feel comfortable referring to. I'm still building on that platform. I'm teaching uh, around the world um, and in the United States. Um, and so that platform of practitioners is, is lengthening. Uh, so right now there, there are a few in the world, there's actually quite a few, uh, but not as many as, as I would like to have uh, presently because there's a lot of need. People need this and um, are asking for it because it's, it's easy. Uh, a session could take, uh, you know, once, once or twice. I rarely work on people um, unless it's an acute chronic situation that is, has lots of um, secondary problems might take longer, but the normal session for structural reflexology is one to three sessions. Mm. It's not something you have okay. to keep doing. Yeah. But I can work okay. on that um, and, and um, be able to provide, um, you've inspired me. I think that there are people out there right now that uh, would be ready and willing to work with um, the folks who are in need. I think you. I think you'll love it too. It's very relaxing, very deeply relaxing. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's great. That's great. Well, maybe I'll just have to, you know, go to one of your classes in Toronto and bring my mom with me. <laughs> I would love that. Well, that would be perfect because in Toronto, I I do um, second level. I invite public um, cases into my class, and my students observe while I troubleshoot. For um, I show them how to do, how a public um, 
session would go. They uh, learn a lot from that. So if I if I do make it to Toronto, which I'm hoping I will, it will maybe that opportunity will be there. I'd be delighted to work with her to meet you, uh, Dr. Karen. Um, that so this is fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. <laughs> go out, you could show me Toronto. I haven't been there. I mean, I've been there. Well, I'm not that good that way, but. <laughs> Not much of a, I lived. I I uh, I grew up in Oakville, so Toronto's still pretty strange to me. But I have lots of friends in Toronto, and I go to Toronto a lot because my parents now live in Markham. So um, mm-hmm. uh, we go there at least four times a year. Well, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Um, this has been really fun. Thank you. So really fun. I learned so much uh, from you and. Um, you know, now we have some more resources. I, I, I'm looking forward to when I can visit my parents and, and uh, get that my mom measured <laughs> properly <laughs> uh, with the Bannock device now that you've shared with us how to do that. And uh, I feel fairly confident that um, I'll be able to, to figure that out for her. And she's very open. Well, keep me posted. I would love to hear. Oh, that would be awesome. Great. And I want to thank everyone for listening in as well. And just to reiterate, uh, Geraldine's site is PutYourBestFeetForward.com. And you can get her book on Amazon or just, you know, the, the link from the, the website and just stay tuned for uh, the future book that's coming up in, uh, I guess, later this year. Is that right, Geraldine? I'm hoping so. I really do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's I'll cool. Again, thank you. Job. Oh, that's perfect. Great. Yeah, we'll stay connected. And then we'll have to have you back on the show when you launch that book. I would love that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right. Until next time, everyone. Bye for now. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you.